Hey, this is Randall Foster from Symphonic Distribution. You are listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with my friends Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Billboard, Spotify Q3 revenue up 21.4% to $3 billion as subscriber growth beats estimates. From multiple sources, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Deezer, and YouTube Premium all raise their rates. But the question is, Jay, is Spotify next? Mm. From Variety, it's not just exhaustion why mental health is finally a priority for music artists. And from Hypebot, the MLC is sitting on more than $500 million due songwriters and rights holders. Mm. Yikes. Jay, it has been a crazy week. It has been a fun week. We will wrap uh, about that. We will talk about that and lots of other exciting things because it is time for the Your Morning Coffee. Because it is time for the Your Morning Coffee podcast, which starts right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London Coffee. Wake up! Your morning coffee, the weekly music news. Standing by. Your morning coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, Jay, when I said it was a crazy busy week, I meant it. It was a crazy busy week. It really was, uh, and for us and for the music business. Yes, it was. And uh, I'm going to let you start talking about your crazy week because part of it involved me because we were together. Well, yeah, yeah. Tuesday. You and I hooked up at the Music Tectonics uh, conference, and uh, you know, as we've been talking about for the last few weeks, I had a really cool panel on data and A and R with Elizabeth Jones from Capitol Records and Maton Coder from Electra and Vasya Weber from uh, Vibrate. And we talked about um, how A&R reps are using data in a lot of uh, ways. It was super interesting and uh, it was great. You and I got to see some, um, well, some colleagues and some friends. Yes, absolutely. But I do want to touch on your panel, what you did. That was really super interesting, very well attended and a real, I mean, it was fascinating, you know, because we sort of surmise what, how people use data. But as you kind of have mentioned over the last couple of weeks, you've been, and you've been sort of interfacing with a lot of A&R people. And the fact is that they all treat it quite differently. So it's That's right. fascinating to hear uh, these, the, the, the perspectives of the, of the folks on the panel and how they use it. And, um, it's, it's, yeah. you know, I, I am struck with, uh, it's, you know, when you're a, when you're a musician or when you're a kid, you kind of starting in the business, like, God, you know, I want to be an A&R person. I, I wouldn't, I don't want to be an A&R person now. It's, it's so overwhelming because there's yeah. so much coming at you and it's That's just right. like drinking from a fire hose. You know, it's like, how do you, how do you, it must take a long time to, to kind of get your balance and figure out what the things are that work for you and, and yeah. what data you pay attention to and what stuff you just kind of toss off to the side because. Yeah. It's interesting ooh. because no two A&R reps look at it completely mm-hmm. uh, identically, but what I found was it's not just people looking at TikTok and seeing what's popping. There are a few of those, but most of it was this 
healthy balance between look at looking at data points, seeing how they're trending, but also really getting to know the artist and listening to the music and making sure that they're a career artist and not just a flash in the pan and seeing if there's a lineup around the block to see them play. So it's both old school and new mm-hmm. school. I think that's a, a fair uh, assessment. Yeah, but it was fun. And boy, we bumped into a ton. Well, and I do, I got to hand it to Dimitri. It was a great event. It, it was, was a, a great really conference. great event. Absolutely. It, it really was. I mean, he is so good at blending um, new kind of tech startups that want to be in the music industry that have great technology with uh, the music industry in general. And so mm-hmm. uh, hats off to Dimitri Vitz and his team over there at Music Tectonics and uh, Rock, Paper, Scissors. It was it was great. And you and I got to you know see some really smart people. We had lunch with our friend Gigi Johnson. Who I had um, never met, which was great to meet her in person. Absolutely. Yeah, I've known her for years. Um, I've spoken at her class at UCLA and been on her podcast. Um, you should Google Gigi. She does <laughs> so many different Everything. things. <laughs> She's yeah. had a wild uh, career. We don't have enough time to go through her uh, her resume, but uh, I met her when she was running the uh, Herb Albert School of Music at UCLA, and um, she's a dear friend, super smart, uh, just a great person too. And, uh, and now at NYU, she's she's left yeah. UCLA and she's at NYU. Yeah, which is that's weird. right. But we we also bumped into our old friend from Universal, Jeff Bronikowski, who's now yeah. at Apple. It was fun to see him. Uh, yeah, I didn't see him. And you mentioned Bill Gagnon was there, our mutual yeah, friend from yeah. Universal. I didn't see Bill, but you, I know you sat next to him for the. the I keynote. sat by him during the uh, keynote, and it's always good seeing uh, Bill. Um, and, and, you know, I was at Universal for nearly 18 years, so I, I still have a soft spot in my heart for, oh, yeah. for that team over there. I, uh, you know, I grew up there, so it was good seeing Bill. Absolutely. And I worked with Bill over at EMI and uh, my good friend Greg Stein, who I bumped into there, was kind of in the MI space, musical instrument space. Um, but it was just a ton of people. And it's so fun to, yeah. uh, to bump into folks you haven't seen in ages and ages and ages. And it's still the kind of the post-COVID buzz of just, woohoo, we're out. Yeah. <laughs> Look, yeah, it was really nice being in person uh, mm-hmm. for Music Tectonics. You'll remember the last Music Biz Association um, what, in last May was the first one kind of in person. And it was still a little tentative, a lot of masks. And, mm-hmm. you know, and we're starting to kind of get back to this new abnormal. And uh, it was just a, a wonderful week. Uh, it, with that it was, conference. and uh, uh, some passings this week. Well, well a, 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 a passing and uh, the killer. Jerry Lee Lewis. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Too much love drives a man insane. You broke my will, but what a thrill. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. I let you love what I thought it was funny. 87 years old. And, uh, you know, one of the earliest rock stars. And what a, Absolutely. what a blast of energy he was. Oh my gosh. I mean, in 1957, you know, he had a whole lot of shaking going on and great balls of fire. He's one of the only guys that was inducted into both the country music hall of fame and the rock and roll hall of fame. And he was so influential, you know, to people like Elton John, for example. But, uh, it was, uh, it was very sad to hear of his passing. Boy, such a legend. But you know, eighty-seven, and boy, that guy—that guy lived large and hit he it hard. Lived hard, yeah. <laughs> so, the fact that he lived to eighty-seven is pretty remarkable. And uh, yeah, yeah, you know, there those those early pioneers, and he outlived so many of of those early rock rock and roll heroes that uh, that yeah. really kind of defined the genre. And uh, and I'm gonna uh, the song you're now hearing, of course, is Stevie Wonder. an interactive article because it's the 50th anniversary of talking book and uh you know i bought that record when it came out i was in sixth grade and i remember just listening to everything on the headphones and all the interesting sounds so good keyboard parts and it's just a 
fantastic album. And when you, we, I think you and I briefly talked about it. You know, that was the second of Stevie's albums where he had complete control. And uh, it, he had, uh, when he turned 21, which back in those days was the age of, of adulthood or legal yeah. adulthood, um, he ended up re-signing with, uh, with uh, Motown, but he didn't was not using any of their staff of writers. And he worked with Malcolm Cecil and Bob Margerloff, synthesizer pioneers, and they did Music of My Mind, Talking Book, Inner Visions, uh, fulfilling this Incredible. first finale. And I think, was it, did I get them all right? So yeah, influential. Yeah. And when you think about, you know, the impact of those records on what came after, you know, and, and, and how he was just unbelievably creative in that, in that period of time and just writing song after song after song. Fascinating. But yeah. I'm going to put a link to the New York Times interactive article in the show notes. And uh, if you have a subscription, check it out. It's really, really cool. So uh, hard yeah. to believe is 50 years ago. My goodness. Yeah. And you're you know, reading another... an interesting book I, that you had mentioned to me before we hit oh, record. Yeah. yeah. Um, just really quickly, there's this, um, this book I just finished um, by Shoshana Zuboff, and the title is The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. And I'm always interested in, you know, um, how companies use data and, you know, whether it's targeted online ads. And it's not all nefarious. Like sometimes I like to see um, what kind of ads they serve up to me mm-hmm. and are they accurate? You know, I think one of my only complaints about uh, that advertising side is when I get an ad for something that I just already purchased, you know, yes. weeks ago that isn't something like, let's say it's a lens for a camera. You're not going to buy that lens probably for another five or 10 years. And, and yet I'm getting hit up for ads because they know I just purchased one. But 99% of the time they're scary accurate. But I've done a little bit of reading on some of these companies that buy and sell your data, you know, and it's, if you think about it, it's like social media, you know, if, you know, if you're not paying for it, you're probably the product, mm-hmm. you know, your data. And, uh, you know, I won't go too deep into this book, but if you, if you like data and learning how it's bought and sold and used and, and how they scrape for it and how they get it, um, I'll just say that, you know, since, you know, the attacks on nine 11, it's been super easy for companies and the government to kind of track you and share their, uh, data. And, uh, now they're tracking things like, uh, emotions and they're looking at your photos and they're looking at the adjectives that you use in your reviews on, you know, uh, online. So there's a ton of data out there on you and they're using it, uh, for marketing. And it's, it's shocking when you read into this, like how much data is actually available about you and your life. So oh, God, frightening, frightening, the frightening age of surveillance capitalism. And then, you know, about a week ago, um, Taylor Swift released uh, a new album, uh, midnights that came out mm-hmm. on October 21st on Republic. And it's got a couple of different versions. There's a, I think it's called the 3am edition and that has like 20 tracks. Whereas there's like 13 tracks on the original one. Um, this is her first album completely recorded with uh, Jack Antonoff. You remember him from Fun. And Bleachers. Yes, it's super melodic, uh, kind of synth uh, pop. And Pitchfork kind of put it best. They said, um, more interested in setting atmosphere than chasing trends, Taylor Swift's 10th album pursues a newly subdued and amorphous pop sound. And I just, I think it's wonderful. A deep portal, time travel, all the love we unravel. And the life I gave away. Cause he was sunshine, I was midnight pain. He wanted a comfortable, I wanted that pain. He wanted a bride, I was making I gotta, my I, Yeah, my daughter has listened to it and was raving about it. I haven't sat down and, and checked it out. I'm a big fan. How can yeah. you not be a big fan? It's, it's just... It, everything is so well written and crafted, and uh, yeah, I can hardly wait to, to check it out. I also wanted to mention uh, when I was talking about Stevie Wonder, I also managed to go to an event over in Burbank this week, this last week called Synthplex, a big mm. event for uh, celebrating synthesizers. So I got to geek out and totally just, you know, for a couple of hours, just sit around with headphones on and play different vintage synthesizers. And oh, wow. man, it was so fun. But m- mentioning Stevie Wonder, that that uh, that was the thread I was going to add to it. But I didn't. So there you have it. But uh, <laughs> very interested in the in the new Midnight's record. And yeah, gosh, it was just a busy week. So many things going on. And yeah. And here we go. It's time to well actually before jump we into jump in. Just yes. one last one last quick thing is mm-hmm. we covered um, 
a story on Ticketmaster uh, last oh, yeah. week and mm-hmm. got a lot of uh, great responses from executives at some of the top com- uh, companies uh, around ticketing and around live entertainment. And we're going to, you know, take this step by step because there's uh, conflicting you know, sides on this and we don't want to take sides. So what we'll do is we're going to talk to everyone involved and see if we can't get some clarity there. But, you know, like uh, Ricky Warwick saying, you know, there's three sides to every story, yours, mine, and the truth. And, you know, um, we don't want to shortchange anybody. So we'll be, we'll be digging a little deeper into ticket pricing as we move forward. We will. We will. And by the way, the guy that you are hearing with me is none other than Jay Gilbert, the famous Jay Gilbert. He oh, is a music industry consultant. He's the curator of the weekly Your Morning uh, Coffee newsletter. And of course, that is with the inspiration for this podcast. He's also a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music, and of course, Fox Home Entertainment, and the quintessential Minnesota Vikings fan. And he's uh, Hope Springs Eternal, stoked. my friend. Well, oh, yeah. They got a good record so far. Yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been down this road before. This guy's sitting <laughs> next to me. Uh, across from me digitally um, is a uh, big time Ram fan and a yes. longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, uh, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music Group, Capital EMI, and Universal Music, if I can say it correctly. And uh, what do you say, Mike? Let's uh, let's thank our great sponsors. Oh, my goodness. Couldn't do it without them. And we are so, 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 so lucky to have them. Uh, the Your Morning Coffee podcast is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle. Built for musicians, <laughs> built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for professional website are already built in. Hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free. Commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can jump over to Banzoogle.com and try it free for 30 days. Just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's Banzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. Ah, yes. Uh, We're also brought to you by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. Edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla. Boy, I'm stuttering today. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. Yes, indeedio. Bands in Town. Over 75 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It is the number one artist service platform connecting over 560,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Did you notice that I increased those numbers? Um, I did. I got yes, those from I bands did. in town. So now, yeah, now it's over 74 million Unbelievable. Uh, live music fans and over 560,000 artists. So they continue to grow. And, and finally, we're also brought to you by the Music Business Association. For more than six decades, the Music Biz Conference has been the point of origin for inspiration and collaboration in the music business. As attendees share insights learned at the event with their peers and extend a ripple effect of change across the global music industry. Uh, Join us uh, for the Music Business Association Conference, the Music Biz Conference, in Nashville, May 15 through 18. Just before the humidity hits, I think, if I'm not Uh, mistaken. Yes, indeed. So that's the Music Business Association, Bands, Zugo, Hypebot, and Bands in Town that help us put it all together and make it happen. So big thanks to everybody for that and indeed let us jump into the the stories jay and uh we start with an article from billboard spotify's q3 revenue is up 21.4 percent to three billion dollars as subscriber growth beats estimates that it is, sounds amazing right it, it kind of does but, but, but here's the thing you know this is written by glenn peoples yes. um, our friend and colleague um glenn peoples from billboard and I called him because I wanted to find out, you know, why their stock price and, you know, um, 
it wasn't just their stock price. It was, you know, their margins are also in decline. And I was, I was a little confused, you know, paid subscribers at Spotify are up ad supported subscribers are up monthly active users are up. Um, so why the decline? So, um, here's uh, Glenn Peoples to explain that. Glenn, thanks for joining me today. You reported on the Spotify earnings call this past week. In your Billboard article, you pointed out some impressive numbers. Spotify's paid subscribers are up 13.4% year over year. Their ad-supported users are up 24.1% year over year. Overall monthly active users are up nearly 20% to 456 million worldwide. And, and the company's revenue is up. So given all of that, why are Spotify's margin and stock price in decline? Yeah, great questions. I think part of it is investors maybe didn't like Spotify's guidance um, looking forward. And that usually plays a part into which way the stock goes after an earnings release and, and what the forward-looking guidance is. A lot of it, I think, was that uh, podcasting is eating into margins. Spotify's main message in the earnings call was, well, this is exactly what we told you it was going to be. And they did an investor presentation a few months ago. They said that podcast spending was going to be heavy this year. It's going to reverse and the, the expense growth rate and the revenue growth rate will flip in 2023. And they stayed on message and they said, that's still the case. We're still going ahead as planned. And, you know, investors, this is a test of their patience. Uh, you know, podcasts are going to have better margins for Spotify than music. Um, it's not there yet. There's not a lot of revenue there yet, but that's what they're working toward. Same with audiobooks. They just launched an audiobook store. It has better margins than music. So if we go back to the gas station analogy, well, you sell music at a lower margin, not as low as gas, but uh, music is lower margin. And then what else can you do on top of that? And podcast is obviously a big uh, place of emphasis. They've invested a lot of money and investors just got to wait it out. And not everybody is enthused about waiting uh, a year, two, three, five to see how it goes. I do appreciate Glenn's opinion and his knowledge and exp expertise in yeah. this area because it is kind of baffling. And, you know, when you when you meet just the you talk about these things, it, it is kind of counterintuitive, I guess. That's yeah. the best way of saying it, you know. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with the overall market and what's mm -hmm. going on there, because, you know, if they've grown to one hundred and ninety five million paid subscribers, that's amazing they've and then add on top of that 273 million ad supported um, subscribers mm -hmm. so that's 456 million worldwide um, you would think that um, things would be a little rosier but um, this piece that he wrote kind of digs in and I'll kick it off where he says that Spotify's gross margin of 24.7 percent was slightly better um, then they registered in the second quarter. I think that was 24.6%. The company attributed the decline to its spending on non-music content, right? Mm -hmm. And product enhancements, increased publishing rates, and an adjustment to prior period accruals. Those negative effects serve to offset a favorable revenue shift to podcasting and continued growth in the marketplace, Spotify's hub for artist services. Right. And he, as he said, they, they, I think they covered this in the last earnings call, right? They, they, they did kind of kind of tee this up back then. And so a lot of right. these things, as he says, he, you know, we were kind of we've mentioned this before and, and yada, yada, yada. And so yeah. that's that's, you know, OK. All right. Um, you know, given, of course, the, the inflation that's going on right now, they talked about currency fluctuations mm. also aid into Spotify's gross margin. Spotify is based, of course, in Sweden and reports its financial statements in euros, which traded for roughly uh, about 97, 98 cents uh, of U, a U.S. dollar on September 30th this year and was $1.16 one year ago today. So there is that sort of, you know, having an impact on the operating expense when you talk about currency with these international yeah. companies. It makes me realize I typically think about, think about know, the no. currency fluctuation. But if you're a large publicly traded company, you need to keep that in mind. And as you just mentioned, I just want to put a fine point on that. This wasn't actually a surprise. 
Um, CEO Daniel Ek repeatedly reminded analysts and investors um, they were warned about podcast margin in that that um, June 8th Investor Day presentation that we talked about. Daniel Ek said, you know, as we've said, we expect this drag on margins to start to reverse in 2023. We've been transparent that 2022 was going to be an investment year, you know, and he said, which would result in a drag on our gross margin in the short term. It all played out, quote unquote, largely as we expected. So there you go. Yeah, there you go. Now, Daniel was a little torqued about a particular thing, wasn't he, Jay? <laughs> <laughs> and that, as this article says, one thing getting in the way of better margins is one of Spotify's toughest competitors in audio streaming, Apple. Why yeah. are we talking about Apple when we're talking about Spotify? Well, it says this month, Spotify um, introduced uh, uh, audiobook downloads to capitalize on their relatively fat gross margins, but cannot sell them inside the iOS app on Apple devices without Apple taking a 30% fee. It's Ouch. always been that way. As right? it always has been. You want to go through their uh, ecosystem, uh, that's they right. take 30%. Uh, echoing a press release that Spotify issued on Tuesday, Eck blasted Apple for putting up roadblocks that prevent Spotify from offering a seamless purchasing experience inside the app. Buying an audiobook on Spotify on a competing Android phone, said Eck, is a beautiful experience. <laughs> and, you know, we, you and I were talking about this before. Um, uh, before we hit record. And of course, mm -hmm. if the situation were reversed, you can bet that Spotify would do a similar thing if they could. Um, well, I would just say not in front of the kids. That's right. That's right. So Spotify filed a complaint against Apple with the European Commission in March 2019 over such limitations. On Tuesday, with a pressing urgency to improve Spotify's margin, X sounded exasperated. I just think it's absurd, frankly, that they're allowed to keep doing this, he said. So, yes, I'm probably more vocal about it because it's insane that it's been take that it's been that is that it has taken four years to get the resolution for something that's just absurd and holding everyone back. It holds developers back and holds creators back, and it's bad for consumers. Three what do you really think, every Daniel? story. That's right. Yours. <laughs> Don't sugarcoat it for me. No. Yes. No. So uh, interesting news, though. Um, you yeah. know, my my God, those are pretty impressive numbers, though. At the at yeah. the at first yeah. blush. And thank you to Glenn for helping us to understand, you know, how all these things can be up, um, but yet uh, margin and stock price uh, can be down. Yes, um, indeed. The next piece is actually several pieces, but we'll focus on the music business worldwide piece and talk about this, just about some of these DSPs raising um, prices. The headline is Apple Music just raised its sub subscription price to 1099 in the U.S. Will Spotify be next? And, you know, we talk sometimes about this uh, email that's sent out every Friday, again, from Glenn Peoples at Billboard uh, called The Ledger. And if you subscribe to uh, Billboard Pro, um, you get that and some other really great uh, emails. And in The Ledger this week, um, he talks about some of these DSPs hiking prices. And you and I have been proponents of this for a long time. It's well overdue. You know, I mean, if you look at... Um, you know, Apple Music, for example, recently announcing that they have over 100 million tracks. Well, that's at 9.99, mm -hmm. and they've had that since they were what was it, 20 million tracks. So, anyway, according to Glenn in in the Ledger this week, he said Apple wasn't the first music streaming service to broadly raise prices. Deezer started raising prices in France in January. In May. Amazon hiked prices for Prime members for Amazon Music Unlimited from $7.99 to $8.99, and that's $10 more if you're paying annually. And for the single device plan, for Amazon's Echo and Fire TV devices, from $3.99 to $4.99. That's if you're just using voice, and Apple has a similar program. Um, so Spotify started testing the waters in 2021 by modestly raising prices on some plans in select markets. 46 price increases in, in total, according to company executives. Uh, in the U.S., the family plan increased from $14.99 to $15.99. So these are some small, these are some modest um, increases. But I don't know how you feel about it. I think I know how you feel about it. It's, it's sort of overdue. Um, so far, there's so, overdue. so much value in having um, all of those. And as we dig into this piece... 
Um, I just wanted to point out um, this this gentleman, Tom Silverman, had a couple of um, comments in the comment section. And one, he put in a, a consumer price index inflation calculator. And that $9.99 from July of 2011 would be over $13 today. Mm-hmm. So from going $9.99 to $10.99, we're still not even matching inflation. Right. Um, and he says, you know, no price rise since 2015, but no charge for lossless audio, spatial audio, Atmos. You know, um, he said he thinks that 1250 would be the correct price with an extra fee for lossless. Yes. Well, and as I mean, this is something we've talked about, you know, ever since we started the podcast, which is right. It is such a bargain. And for whatever reason, the video guys, you know, the gan gals, they, they have no shame in, in raising prices. And I can't remember what I should, should I look at my bank statement. I should see what they're all charging these days, but most of them are approaching $15. Right. Um, and, you know, and people typically have one music service in the family and it, it's, it, it's such a value. And, Finally, yeah. it's, it feels like the ice has broken. And Well, you pointed uh, out uh, so eloquently a couple of weeks ago that, like, who's going to be first? Because yeah. on that video streaming side, um, you've got different content basically on a lot of these, you know, Hulu, Netflix, you know, Disney, these types of things. Um, so that's, you know, you're comparing to apples to chainsaws in a little bit. But, but what you were pointing out is that with these streaming services, it's pretty much basically have the same repertoire who's going to be the first one to say i'm going to charge more and there was that worry that maybe people would jump ship but what we're seeing is that no once you have a streaming service there isn't as much churn as there is on the video side number one and and number two you know everybody's kind of following suit it feels like yeah, nobody wants to be the first, which is just weird. But anyway, it, it is what it is. But uh, looking up Netflix pricing, their standard uh, pricing is fifteen forty nine a month now. They have a premium one at twenty bucks, um, and of course they're introducing uh, like a basic with ads thing that's that's going to be six ninety nine a month. But um, you know they, they yeah they're they're the video people are are much more. Um, much more bold when it comes to raising prices. And so, yeah. at least in the case of Apple, so starting uh, just this last Monday, the, the individual Apple subscription is going to go up a buck uh, from $9.99 to $10.99. The family plan, which I think is what I have, that's going up two bucks. That's uh, $14.99 to $16.99. They do an, 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 uh, an annual plan, an individual annual plan that is going to go up by 10 bucks uh, yep. from $99 to $109. And over in the UK, individual plan price is increasing to uh, 10, uh, 10, pounds, uh, 10, 90, 10, 10 pounds 99 is how you say it, I guess, right? Um, and the family plan is going up to 16 pounds 99, which is Right, exactly, that's in the UK, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and then Europe, it's going to be 1099 euros and 1699 euros. So, um, you know, yeah. and Apple, like we've said so many times, I mean, Apple's interested in this business but it's it certainly doesn't keep the lights on for them it's it's uh, they've got so many other things right. going on right. um it's uh we talked about how you know spotify this is what they do this is their core competency and apple this is one very small part of a, a larger overall business the only other two um subscriptions i would add to your discussion at least in the u.s is the student plan is now 599 which is a, mm-hmm. a great deal and then if you just want to use voice um it's 499 and you know, that's that's pretty inexpensive if you just want to use uh, your, I can't say it because I have the device sitting in front of me, but your <laughs> your smart right. speaker a device. And, you know, Amazon has a similar um, program uh, for that. I think it's moving in the right direction. You know, as much as I don't want to spend more money on things, I do feel like music is undervalued. And I feel like if we're going to pay the songwriters what they deserve, uh, a fair uh, fair pay, that we need to have a larger pool to pull from. And again, I just feel it's undervalued and these small increases, you know, are not going to make anybody, uh, you know, leave streaming music. No, 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 no. I did notice though, at the end of the article, it mentions that uh, Apple isn't the only tech giant to announce subscription prices this week. Subscribers of YouTube's premium family plan will have to pay an additional five bucks 
for their subscription after the video streaming platform upped the monthly fee by 28% to $22.99. So. Yeah, and they've done this before because I'm a mm -hmm. subscriber. Right. Um, I remember when I first started subscribing, it was a very low price, and then almost immediately they, they bumped it uh, quite a bit. But it, it, it reminds me of what you, you said about streaming video. Um, they've been doing this for years. Mm -hmm. And if, you, if they have something valuable that you want to watch, um, you're probably not going to jump ship. No, exactly. So I guess the bottom line, Jay, is at least artists will making, be making a little teeny bit more, not, not dramatically more, but... A little we'll bit see. more. It's, we'll it's see. good to see more revenue coming in. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Our next article from Variety. This was really interesting, Jay. Uh, it's not yeah. just exhaustion. Why mental health is finally a priority for music artists. And yeah. uh, man, oh man, oh man. It was, uh, what a fascinating article. And yeah. it is. Uh, it is good that we are considering these things these days, mental health and wellness. And uh, because for a long time, it was just kind of one of those things you didn't talk about, especially yeah. in the touring music business world. Yeah. It's really in the forefront now in your morning coffee this last week. You know, we talked about Ryan Dusick who write, wrote this article. We talk about his book, um, Harder to Breathe, which we'll talk about in a second, but also Phoebe Bridgers. Uh, there's a piece in your morning coffee uh, about Phoebe, uh, battling with some of these same, these same challenges. And it's, it's something that we never used to talk about, um, but we do now. So um, Ryan Dusick says, um, I'll admit it. I used to think pop stars who canceled tours due to exhaustion were just being divas or, or worse yet, downplaying a major drug or alcohol problem until I suffered a breakdown on tour that effectively ended my career as a performing musician and sent me into a tailspin of depression, anxiety, alcoholism that lasted a decade. And we should note that uh, this gentleman, Ryan Dusick, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, it he was a founding member, uh, he was a drummer of Maroon 5. Yeah. And he says he endured physical and psychological injuries from the relentless touring in support of their album, Songs About Jane. And in those days, there wasn't a whole lot I, he, could, he could say to prevent the problem from escalating to the disastrous point that it did. And I think a lot of people forget or don't even understand that, you know, when you're out on the road and, and suddenly things are breaking, like your, your record's starting to pop. You know, radio stations are playing it. People are paying attention. Um, There's a lot it, of demand on your it, time. Yes, and and you get a lot of pressure from management, from just within the own, the, you know, your members. It's like, you know, this. You have to take advantage of, you know, of you know, of the activity, and do everything in your in your power to 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 keep it going. And that is an unbelievable amount of stress on everyone in in the band. And, and there's so many people who have just decided, you know what, this isn't for me. Yes. Um, the, what was that band? It was a Young Radicals. Um, had that uh, Don't Let Go new, track. New Radicals. The New, new Radicals. Radicals. That's it. And um, that gentleman was a producer first, mm -hmm. and then that record popped, and he started the campaign and decided, you know what, this isn't for me. You know, yeah. and what Ryan says here is that, you know, they were in the middle of a four year global promotional campaign. Think about that. A four year yeah. global promotional campaign. And during that, they were instructed to, quote unquote, say yes to everything. Yeah. And any breaks in our schedule quickly evaporated as the album blew up on a massive scale. Just when it was time to enjoy the fruits of our labor, my body, my, my mind gave out on me. And this breakdown proved devastating, not only for my career, but to the very fabric of my being. Wow, uh, wow. That's heavy. And you, you know, I think finally today, this is, it, there's no stigma attached to it. We can talk about mental health in music um, in a very positive way. I remember watching, uh, there's that great, it's a UK documentary series called The Classic, Al called Classic Albums. And when they, they go in and they... They go in the studio and they put up the tapes and you can kind of hear the individual parts and how those records went down. And they did one on Machine Head, the great Deep Purple album that had Smoke on the Water. And um, in they were talking, they they in that documentary, they talked about how, you know, and, and Deep Purple famously uh, went through different versions of the band, different singers, different, you know, lots of people. Sure. And, and that version that that 
did, did Smoke on the Water and everything, they were saying that because shortly after that album came out, the singer left and the bass player left. And they were saying in that documentary that, you know, had had they had management said, you know what, let's just go away for a month and, and, and put some breaks in those relentless tourings. He said, we probably would have stayed together, but, you know, it can break up bands and, and they could be never the same. So it is a very delicate dance if you're management, if you're within the band of, you know, how do you try to take advantage and do all you can do, but at the same time manage your mental health. And, you know, it's, it's, yes. it, it's very hard to do. Yes, and what you just said is what Ryan's saying here. He said, I don't know if I would still be performing as a drummer of Maroon 5 today had I possessed the luxury of taking time off in the midst of our burgeoning pop stardom. As it turned out, I was able to turn a decade of suffering into a new career as a mental health professional after I finally found recovery and discovered new tools for living a more centered and balanced life. So, so think about that for a second. Ryan Dusick is now an associate marriage and family therapist, right? He's a a mental health advocate. And this book, this forthcoming book, harder to breathe. I can't wait to read it. A memoir of making Maroon five, losing it all and finding recovery that comes out on November 15th. Yes. And if you don't remember harder to harder to breathe, was really their first big single. Great song great song so very interesting and something that of course is is famously and appropriately much more in the in the conversation these days uh, as it should thankfully be. yeah absolutely so good stuff yeah well the next one jay <laughs> this is a a very interesting one we're gonna this is from hypebot <laughs> well and yes it's from hypebot but it was but, you know kind of taken from music technology policy from our good friend Yes, Chris Castle. Chris Castle. Yes. And before you jump into this, if I could, let me just interject sure. um, because I was telling somebody about this at the conference and because I love Chris's writing. First of all, he's, he's super smart, but he's, he's really sassy. And I, I like that about him and sometimes can be <laughs> yes. a bit of a flamethrower. And I mean that in the best possible way. Um, so a friend of mine said, well, I, I don't quite get it. What's, what's the MLC again? And I said, it's the mechanical licensing collective. And so I, it, you know, it came out of the Music Modernization Act. So bef- just to tee up this article before you jump in, let me just explain to our, our listeners exactly what the MLC, the Mechanical Licensing Collective, what it's all about. So the MLC is a nonprofit organization designated by the U.S. Copyright Office pursuant to the historic music, I'm sorry, Music Modernization Act, you know, from 2018. So in, in January 2021, the MLC began administering blanket mechanical licenses to eligible streaming and download services, you know, digital service providers or DSPs, whatever you want to call them. And that's in the United States. So the MLC collects the royalties due under those licenses from the DSPs and pays songwriters, composers, lyricists, and music publishers. So I just wanted people to know that's, that's kind of what this MLC is that we're going to dig into. Right. And if you really want to go even further back, when we talk about mechanical licenses, the, that whole thing came to, came to bear in the very early, actually almost started in the late 19th century, but really in the early 20th century with the popularity of p, uh, player pianos. And so at that time, if, if you know about a player piano, that's kind of these songs are encoded on a roll of paper and it, it, it will just play the song on the piano. On the, piano. Um, yeah. the sheet music industry then believed that the, rec- the recreation of their songs was violation of copyright and they initi- initiated legal action that resulted in the Supreme Court of the U.S. There was a case called White Smith Music Publishing Company versus Apollo Company, and that was in 1908. The Supreme Court at first ruled that the piano rolls were not copies of the plaintiff's music, but instead part of the machine that created the music, and thus player piano and piano roll makers did not have to pay royalties to the sheet music composers. But then the songwriters lobbied Congress Uh, and following that ruling and succeeded in establishing the nature of mechanical licenses in the Copyright Act of 1909. So we are talking about things that go back 110, 11, 12 years. So this, first of all, it's it's been going on a long time. But now we have our friend Chris Castle talking about uh, um, the the MLC and and all kinds of stuff. So... um, 
you know, the bottom line is the MLC is sitting on a pile of other people's money, as Chris says, i.e. the Mechanical Licensing Collective, the MLP, the MLC, uh, the DSP's one-of-a-kind joint venture, Quango, <laughs> mandated by the good folks from Washington who are here, here to help, Jay. They're here to help. So you can see the kind of... Uh, uh, sassy tone with which he's 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 uh, doing this. Yeah. Now he said we estimate that the MLC has got at least five hundred million dollars socked away at City National Bank in Nashville, collecting dust or interest. Then he says more on that later. He said this would include current black box plus four hundred and twenty-four million dollars or so in historical black box it voluntarily paid to the MLC by the DSPs, an inexplicably large sum given all the DSP audits over the years. Right. And he he goes on to say that readers will also recall that the U.S. Copyright Office is responsible for the operations of the MLC. Or as they say in Washington, where all the children are above average and no one is responsible for anything (laughs) and has oversight, which usually means gets gets to blame somebody else when the fan takes over. And of course, the Congress has oversight of the Copyright Office. Every so often, the head of the Copyright Office gets that rare joy of attending an oversight hearing at the Congress, which happened recently and and resulted in a certain follow-up questions for the record. Uh, that get answered in writing. And I think this, this is where I'd like to dig in here a little bit, is that this happened. And Senator Patrick Leahy, who's the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, he submitted some rather pointed questions about the MLC black box. And uh, they, they grew some rather pointed responses. Well, and we should talk about, you know, this, this kind of notion of black box. Um, and, and, and that is, is kind of this, um, this fund, basically, that, that kind of, but they have to find who it belongs to, right? And so therein lies the rub. And I would actually add that, you know, when I worked in catalog over at Capital, I remember talking to the royalties person, and they kind of told me, how challenging it is to truly follow up and especially the older the older the product is that you're you're monetizing you know you've got artists that have passed away you've got families that take over you've got trusts set up you've got the sales of 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 publishing catalogs you've got people who have moved or changed their absolutely and and I still manage a, a, a you know it's a a smallish catalog and we have all of a sudden you'll be sending checks to people and then all of a sudden they'll start coming back like nobody's at this address anymore. And so I don't want to I, I want to it, it, it shouldn't be that much money that's just sitting there. But I do want to point out that it is really challenging sometimes to find people. You wouldn't think it would be as hard as it could be. And all of a sudden you could be paying them and all of a sudden they disappear or they die or you don't right. know what happens. So. Right. So well, there Senator, is that. Senator Leahy asked. That question, you know, what can the Copyright Office do to help ensure that the MLC is working to make sure that rightful owners of music, you know, that they're identified and paid? And here's the response in writing. The MLC should make every reasonable effort to ensure that royalties are paid to the rightful owners of musical works. Okay. According to the MLC's first annual report, it has distributed over $420 million under the new blanket license uh, for uses reported in 2021 with a steadily improving match rate reported approximately 88% of royalties. Uh, that's, you know, it's not a hundred percent, but 88%, mm-hmm. not nothing. Um, with respect to the historical pre 2021 unmatched royalties, which were reported to be about 426 million. The annual report says that the MLC recently started distributing those that it has been able to match. Okay, it doesn't say how much that is. It also says that the MLC has begun making associated usage data for historical unmatched royalties available to the copyright owners. So you're right. It's it's complicated. They have to track these things down. But when I saw that number, you know, uh, 500 million, um, that's a lot of money that's generating a lot of money and interest. Absolutely. You know, and we talk about artists and how you know the the revenue streams continue to shrink and when you see this pile of money sitting there boy it it's uh it's oof it, it is uh yeah scary and so so um uh, chris goes on to say one issue that is not discussed 
in the QFR or anywhere else for that matter is what is happening to the hundreds of millions that the MLC is sitting on. Remember that the MLC is required to pay a government interest rate on black box and that the interest rate has been steadily increasing this year thanks to the Federal Reserve. That interest payment is presumably covered under the MLC's administrative assessment and government fees charged to music users for the privilege of using the compulsory blanket license. And he says, but wait, there's more. According to the MLC's annual report, I think it's on page four, he says, the MLC invests the black box funds, presumably, according to its internal investment policy established by its board of directors. It says this policy covers the investment of royalty and assessment funds respectively and sets forth the MLC's goals and objectives in establishing policies to implement the MLC's investment strategy. Mm. The anti-commingling policy required by this statute is contained in the MLC's investment policy. So this money is being invested, and presumably at current interest rates, it's probably... Making some, making some more money. Right. But as Chris points out, this raises some interesting points. First and foremost, it's unclear where any trading profits reside. Mm-hmm. Uh, realize that every CMO is confronted with a decision about what to do with the royalty float and black box. But not every CMO decides to invest these funds in the market. If they do invest the funds, it is generally the case that any trading profits, dividends, or interest goes to offset uh, offset the CMO's administrative costs that otherwise would be deducted from collected royalties. So there's a lot of uh, layers to this uh, lemon, (laughs) this onion. (laughs) (laughs) It could be a lemon, too. Layers to this lemon. Oh, my goodness. So... uh, whether the, this return on investment is returned to songwriters or to the users or retained by the MLC is unclear to Chris uh, from the MLC's annual report. It's also unclear as to the authority that the MLC's board or the copyright office, for that matter, would have to put the songwriter's money at risk in the market. What record keeping is made or required of the investments in ROI or really much of anything at all aside from the quoted statement above. So... Yikes. This is this is kind of stinky, Jay. <laughs> yeah, well, he he closes the article by saying, I was hoping this topic would be addressed in the oversight hearing. Uh, but maybe next time. Right. <laughs> so that's one thing that Chris well, there's many things that Chris is very good yeah. at and, and one of them is uh making sure that this doesn't get um brushed under the rug. Yeah. Um, that we're talking about it. So thank you, Chris. Uh, a lot of really money. Appreciate it. A lot of money we were talking a about. A lot of money. But on that note, Jay, let us wrap up this edition of the podcast. We are at episode number 116. My goodness, it's, uh, we are jamming down the highway, so to speak. Uh, but I know I can certainly say with, uh, with truth that Jay and I both appreciate everyone listening into the podcast. And we want to thank our sponsors, the Music Business Association, Bandzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. Because Jay and I would absolutely be swimming without life rafts if that were the case. So big thanks to our sponsors. And uh, Jay, let us go away and have a good weekend and uh, hope our listeners will also have a good coming week. And we thank you for listening. And this has been the Your Morning Coffee Podcast, and we will see you next week. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.